How's it going, Andrew? Happy New Year, Matt. Happy New Year, indeed. Here we are on New Year's Day. 6024. Recording an episode because we love our listeners that much. And we have off, well, I have off of work. Yeah, you have, you have <laughs> off of work. I did not. I was, I was out and about at about five o'clock this morning and probably one of the only vendors out there, but somebody's got to do it. Someone's got to refill all them cakes, man. Yep. Yep. what did you do for New Year's? Ah, sat at home, watched some movies after the daughter fell asleep and then, you know, went to bed probably later than I should have. The post 40 New Year's style, right? Yeah. 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 The, uh, the, uh, midnight feels late sometimes, but actually, you know, I had the whole week off leading up to, so I had gotten plenty of sleep and stuff like that. So it was kind of nice to stay up a little bit later, you know, took the week off, had some major dental work done right around Christmas time, which oh, yeah. was fun. So I apologize if I sound funny for the next few episodes to everyone, but how was your New Year's? Mine was good. I made some chili. You know, I was also doing more of a low-key version this year. I had all, I went to a wedding on, what day is it? Saturday, I guess. I went to a wedding two days ago. There you go. And so I was already out late the night before New Year's Eve, so I kind of counted that as my New Year's. It was a wedding between my buddy who lives in Malaysia because he went out there to teach English. And so he did a Malaysian wedding with his wife out there. And she's uh, Malaysian. So, and then they did one here. And so we kind of did a whole dealio. It was super fun. There was a bunch of like, they're Chinese actually in Malaysia. So they were doing a bunch of like Chinese toasts and all this really fun stuff to kind of do like a mixed thing. It's pretty cool. That sounds like a lot of fun. That would have been a good time. The night before New Year's too. Ooh. Yep. And then, you know, I yesterday I made up some chili, made some garlic knots, homemade dough, all that good stuff, dip in it. Claire always likes to watch the Anderson Cooper and Andy whatever from the Housewives mm. New Year's ball drop show, gotcha. which to me kind of feels like a very long ad, but, <laughs> you know, I had to be a good husband, so I watched that all the way through, and they were, you know, so we did that, and then, of course, then the ball drops at 11 p.m. here, and I'm like, well, it's not New Year's yet, so hung around for another hour. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it was a good time. You know what was funny, though? What was funny? So I went to bed, and at 2 a.m., I hear my dog barking. Okay. Like, barking really loud, and I go, what is going on? So I come rushing out, like, oh, my God, is there, like, a burglar? Why is my dog barking at 2 a.m.? And I hear yelling outside my door. And I go, oh, my God, what's going on? So I peek, and there's three people laying on my porch. And I go, oh, boy. So I open the door and I go, hey, what are you drunks doing out here? And it's my upstairs neighbor and he can't get into his house. <laughs> <clears throat> so he lives with his sister and his sister, you can hear her on the phone. She's clearly at like a massive party and he's screaming like, what is the code? I'm so cold. What is the code to the door? And then you hear like, what? <laughs> I'm like, oh God. So I'm like, hey guys, you guys want to come inside? It's freezing. They're like, oh no, 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 dude. Still laying on the porch. I'm just like talking to some like dead people. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, I'll let, let you in the back stairwell because it connects to their room. Like you can just go sit on the stairs in there while you're waiting for your sister to figure out that you're locked out or whatever. So they had a traditional New Year's, it seemed like. It certainly would seem so. I had a, I, and we live on different sides of town. So I don't know if you can get this experience at all, but I had the typical experience on in the area i live in where it sounded like a small war zone right at midnight because oh yeah there's not i wish i could say it was fireworks but there's a distinct difference between those being launched into the air which i'm sure there was a couple of those mm -hmm. but for the most part it was gunfire do people just go off and round their guns into the sky or what yeah you know i always want to hope every year that they're shooting them into the ground but i'm pretty sure they're not and uh, I don't think people understand that what goes up must come down somewhere. Do they potentially be firing blanks? Doubt it, no, actually. No. <laughs> I don't I don't think that much thought goes into that 
behavior that's going on. It's rain and shells. It's one thing to do it out in the country. It's another thing to do it in Mm -hmm. the middle of a heavily populated, closely quartered city. Can people get like injured by that or would it more be like, ah, like you just got hit by a shell falling? I mean, I guess it it all depends on... What caliber? The angle and the caliber and how long it's been in the air and, you know, but. People like to have fun, man. I, I mean, guess. You know, there's a terminal velocity for every object, so I guess you yeah, have man, to see what not, kind of speed it would reach. We're not a science podcast, bro. We're not. So we should actually <laughs> probably get into our topic on that note. Cool. Let's, uh, we're going to get our music here and we're going to talk about the Master Mason Charge. Ooh, fun. Loosen up your ties and roll up your sleeves. It's time for Fellowship with Matt and Andrew. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are not necessarily the views and opinions of the Grand Lodge of Wisconsin or any other Grand Lodge or any appended body. All right. So today we decided to start the new year. Similar to how we started our podcast when we first started talking about charges. So we thought it'd be cool to wrap up the Master Mason charge. So we've been reading through it and talking about it. And we picked out a couple of sections that we thought would be worth exploring more deeply. So, Matt, can you please hit us with the first section we picked out? Ooh, we're starting on that second paragraph, right? That was perfect. All right. You are now bound by duty, honor, and gratitude to be faithful to your trust to support the dignity of your character on every occasion, and to enforce, by precept and example, obedience to the tenets of Freemason. There's a lot to actually kind of unpack in here. There is quite a bit to unpack in here. So, yeah, we kind of skipped the first paragraph, which is about your zeal for the institution. That one's pretty self-explanatory. It kind of just means, you know, you've been present, you've been learning, you've been working, you've been posting. That's showed you as your qualified to receive the master mason degree the second one starts to deal with the what are the responsibilities once again right yeah so we're gonna jump right into you know basically essentially reminding you of some of the things that you've heard in other charges but taking it to another level right with the you're now bound you're now bound by these duties that you've committed yourself to and, you know, your honor for yourself and your lodge and everything else to uphold these things, your gratitude for the people that, you know, have brought you to this point and helped you learn and stuff like that and explain to you what it means to be a Mason. So like within being bound, we're all all bound by our obligations. So when they say you're bound by duty, I think that's pretty clearly referencing you swore an oath on your honor, you're bound by duty and honor, meaning, hey, we're not going to chase you down if you break your obligation. You might lose your membership in our fraternity, but it's not really like you're bound by fear. You're bound by duty and honor because you swore an obligation. And within that, you're saying you're bound by those. But the one other thing is gratitude. We were looking up its definition specifically, and it was saying to be so thankful that you want to return the kindness. So it's, you're also of that other thing where you're appreciative of all the work your brethren put in for you to help make you feel more, you know, that's more necessary to, you know, ascribe to our laws and regulations. Right. And I mean, all of that should give you a very clear definition of, well, not definition, that's not the word I want to use. Very clear picture of why you want to, uphold those things that you've learned so far and why you want to make them better. I mean, you have a lot of, you have a lot of reasons to want to do that, right? You, you want to do it to show appreciation to the people that brought you here, right? That got you through your degrees that have taught you so much. You want to do it to honor that obligation that you've taken. Like there's should be very clear self-motivating reasons as to why you should, you know, uphold your, your obligation. Well, and, you know, we always say that the charges build on the other degrees. All of our degrees build upon each other. And, you know, in a past charge, it said, your own experience must have established its value. And that's, this is a similar thing they're saying here, too. It's like, you are bound because of all these things to be faithful to your trust, meaning the Lodge has trusted you with certain things. 
And hopefully your honor and your duty and your gratitude help support the fact that you will try to endeavor to maintain that loyalty and that faith to the trust that was you know, imparted upon that brother as well. Right. And none of us are perfect. So, I mean, this is all always an effort, you know, putting forth the best effort to maintain all these things. Sometimes you're not always going to live up to that expectation, but, you know, if you can understand that and correct yourself when you stray and make it better next time, then you're on the right path, right? Well, and what's interesting in this part too is that your duty and honor and gratitude there's something you've been given. You've been given something to be dutiful to. You've been given something to apply your honor, and you feel the need to give back. And then it goes on to say, to support the dignity of your character on every occasion. So it's implying through maintaining adherence to the tenets of Freemasonry and the laws and regulations within it and the expectations of the fraternity, it'll support the dignity of your character, meaning your morality and your uprightness. But notice it says on on every occasion. Yeah, and I think that's very important to point out because we're not just talking about in the lodge room here. We're talking about on every occasion, in life in general, in or outside the building, in or outside an open lodge or a tile lodge. With mixed company. It doesn't matter. On every occasion, you are to support the dignity of your character, right? Mm-hmm. And then to enforce... Now, look, it's saying enforce, like that's a strong word, but then it goes strong to enforce. Then it softens back by precept and example. And I've liked that in a lot of the Masonic charges, they do this thing where they'll use like an intense word followed by like a kind word. Like in the Fellowcraft charge, it says, what's the part where it talks about how to deal with a brother who, you know, is straying? Admonish with candor. Admonish. Reprehend with justice. So, yep, it starts with a word that's like admonish, and you're like, whoa, like scold him. And then it goes with candor. And you're like, oh, it means, you know, do the job, but do it kindly. And it it does that thing where it kind of juxtapositions between like something that sounds intense to something more soft. We we mess that up. We'll just correct that real quick. You're to judge with candor, admonish with friendship, and reprehend with justice. And I like how they do that because it gets your attention. Like, you're going to enforce. And you're like, whoa. And it goes, by precept and example. Right. And precept means by you're ascribing to those rules and regulations and examples, this, the double speak, it's kind of a repetition. Right. So it says like you're going to basically live by this. And through that example, others, because we say, you know, by hanging out together, we kind of rub off each other. What's that thing you always say about iron? Iron, uh, iron just as iron sharpen sharpens iron one man sharpens another man i really I'm, I'm sorry guys i'm having difficulty speaking sorry but so it's it's similar to that you're basically saying if you lead by example by your own obedience to the tenets of freemasonry it'll rub off on your brethren as well and you can lecture people all you want but if you're not practicing what you preach it's not going to be as effective right well and that's exactly it right and i think we've we've said it before on the podcast that you know, living your life in a Masonic way should be enough of an example to make other people want to be better too, right? And that the Masonic journey is an individual one. Right. So focus on your own working tools. Right. And, you know, if you are day in, day out, attempting, trying your best, striving to live out the tenets of Freemasonry in your normal life, people are going to notice it. And people are going to become curious about it. People are going to see the good works that you ultimately end up doing and the way it benefits you from mental health perspective and all interpersonal sorts of perspective. Right. You know, there's any number of things that, you know, you can benefit from by just living a, a good, decent life and being kind to people. Kind and upright. Right. And if you live your life by that example, other people are going to take notice of it. So that's how you enforce it is you set yourself to be the example. And if five or 10 or 20 guys are setting themselves to be the example, then 50, 100, 150 people are going to notice it. Mm -hmm. And then you wonder why they say, you know, in other charges, our regular attendance at our meeting is earnestly solicited because on top of you being virtuous and all that kind of stuff and living by example, 
it doesn't help if you're living by example for your brethren if they never see you. And so it's important when you are visiting, that is when other brethren have the opportunity to, you know, have you potentially rub off on them too. Well, I'm going to, because he said it so well in his article, I'm going to quote most worshipful grandmaster Dave Ritchie in his January journal article towards the end here. Please remember, as iron sharpens iron, it needs to be in contact with iron. For one good man to sharpen or to be sharpened by another, he must be in the company of good men. Can you reread that one more time for us? I like it. (laughs) All right, hold on one second. Please remember, as iron sharpens iron, it needs to be in contact with iron. For one good man to be sharpened by another, he must be in the company of good men. I think that's a perfect, I mean, that's exactly what we, I was just talking about. And it's a perfect description that like, you can be virtuous as you want in a cave, but you're not, it doesn't actually benefit anyone else besides yourself, which is perfect because it is supposed to primarily benefit you. But the beauty of being within the fraternity is the hope that within that fellowship that we will sharpen one another as a community to get better too. Right, exactly. And I, when I read that, when my journal showed up the other day, I was just, I was like, oh man, did he just ever nail that perfectly? Like, uh, that was just a great way of putting it. Like, you can practice all this stuff, you all the stuff you want. You can read all the books you want. You can do all of that. But if you just keep it, you know, inside the walls of the lodge or inside your house, you know, and you're not coming to lodge, all that knowledge you have doesn't help better somebody else, you know, and all that knowledge somebody else might have can't benefit you because you're not in contact with it, right? Yeah, and and that's why, you know, when people wonder, like, well, you know, why do I need to go to lodge? Like, you know, if, you know, if if a lodge isn't providing the value someone's looking for, they might feel a little bit like they shouldn't go, but it's also robbing the opportunity because we're supposed to be creating this space where men can rub off on one another and actually provide benefit through encouragement and sometimes criticism, but, you know, whatever it might be, to work as a group to improve ourselves and our communities. And so if you're not within the group or you haven't found a group that you fit well within, you're losing a huge aspect of the Masonic experience. Right. And and I agree. And I'm going to say before we go too far down that rabbit hole, we should set that aside as a little teaser for what might be coming in our next episode of Time for Fellowship. Perfect. <laughs> yep, we'll uh, we'll get into that in a little bit here. So, Matt, would you like to read the next paragraph? Read it in its entirety, and then we'll break it down in pieces. Ooh, fun. So you want me to go all the way through this thing? All right. Oh, yeah. In the character of a master mason, you are authorized to correct the errors and irregularities of your uninformed brethren and to guard them against a breach of fidelity, to preserve the reputation of the fraternity unsullied must be your constant care. And for this purpose, it is your province to recommend to your inferiors obedience and submission, to your equals courtesy and affability, to your superiors kindness and condescension. Universal benevolence you are always to inculcate, and by the regularity of your own behavior, afford the best example for the conduct of others less informed. Now, this one, honestly... And when I've done this charge, this massive paragraph, <laughs> this is a massive paragraph, always sticks out to me because it seems like it should be broken into three paragraphs, but it's, or at least two, but it is, this is where the meat and potatoes are of this charge for sure. The other ones are like assisting. This one has a lot of stuff shoved into it. This one does have a lot of stuff shoved into it. And I would agree. I feel like it should be probably two paragraphs, I would say. Universal benevolence should be yep. chunked out because yep. it feels like it's it's separate. And when I've when I've when I deliver this charge typically, I and you've seen me do it and you do it the same way. You focus a lot on a lot of the words in this paragraph. You really take your time getting through it because you want the person to understand what they're saying. And there's certain emphasis you know, certain words are to be emphasized. Well, but I always try to take a longer pause before that universal benevolence because I feel like it should be separate from the rest of this, you know. 
So I try to give it just a little more space. <laughs> Let's start with the first sentence. In the character of Master Mason, you're authorized to correct the errors and irregularities of your uninformed brethren and to guard them against a breach of fidelity. So right off the bat, you know, we were told in the, is it the Entered Apprentice, the Palliator Aggravate? How to deal with the offenses yes. of a brethren? Yeah, one of the two. It's in the Fellowcraft or the Interprint. So in that one, they're basically saying, this is interpersonal. Like, if one comes up to you and is acting in a way, how do you kind of squander, squash it? And that one, this builds upon that, where they say, you're now a Master Mason. So you are actually being told, you do need to make sure that our brethren are not in error or irregularities. And irregularity, you know, more or less means, you know, contrary to the rules or the normal established rules and customs of the fraternity. So if you're being irregular, you're not living up to the expectations, errors. I feel like in lodges, it's just past masters yelling at you about ritual. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so it's basically saying you have a responsibility to make sure your brethren are, you know, not straying too far from the path and to guard them against a breach of fidelity, meaning, you know, they're bound we just told them they are bound by these things to make sure that they do maintain our rules and regulation. Right. And I mean, <clears throat> it's, it's interesting to point out a few things in this part of it. The part that always got me was the uninformed brethren part. You know, I just, it was like, why? <clears throat> what about, what about the informed brethren? But mm -hmm. As we talked about previous to recording, you know, it was, it's, Uninformed, you have to look at more as somebody being ignorant of or ignoring some of their responsibilities. And, you know, so you're really talking about the whole whispering wise counsel to all your brothers at this point, right? And, you know, maybe sometimes it has to go farther than whispering, but obviously you start with whispering as we've all been educated to do, you know, but this part is really just saying, hey, Make sure if you're, one of your brothers forgets his duties that you're going to remind him of it, but then go back to your fellow craft charge and how do we remind him of it? Yep. You know, with friendship and love and everything else. Yep, we talk and about. justice. I mean, I like this, the Merriam-Webster dictionary version of uninformed means not having or showing, that's the key word, awareness or understanding of the facts. So I think the heaviest point is, is just either – they're ignorant to it completely, or they are aware, but they are not acting according to their knowledge, like the facts of what masonry is. And I think it applies directly to our rules and our regulations and what we are charged and bound to do as masons. Agreed. Agreed. And that's, yeah, that's ultimately the point I was trying to get to with the whole uninformed thing. So thank you. What was next? Oh, to preserve the reputation of the fraternity, unsullied, right? Well, if you if you pay attention to, you know, being bound by duty, honor, and gratitude, to be faithful to your trust, right? And support support the dignity of your character on every occasion. And then, you know, the sentence we were just talking about, shouldn't shouldn't it be pretty easy to preserve the reputation of the fraternity unsullied? Unsullied meaning not spoiled. Not impure, totally clean, like our white white apron. <laughs> right, right. Which, I mean, let's be let's be honest. Right, there's there's always going to be a stain or tarnish or something on every organization. Right. Mm -hmm. the The key is to attempt, attempt, and do your best to preserve the reputation of the fraternity. Well, and when they say unsullied, must be your constant care. It's weird to see keep in. Keep pure, meaning don't let it get sullied. Right. Keep it pure, your care. That's a weird way to have it implied. Not the reputation should remain unsullied. Wait, am I reading it right? Pure constant care to preserve. But it's, yeah, it's not the reputation is unsullied. It's unsullied must be your constant care. Because there should be a comma there. Well, <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're thinking about it wrong. To preserve the reputation of the fraternity, unsullied must be your constant care. I don't think there needs to be a comma there, but I think... Is the fraternity unsullied, or is your constant care unsullied? You, no, it's your constant care to try to keep the fraternity from being sullied. Okay, so yeah, yeah, there should be a comma there in my mind, but regardless. Right. So yeah, to make sure that there's a purity of the 
organization, you need to constantly attend to it. And, you know, you'll see a lot of, um, I don't want to call it mudslinging, but even in an attempt to help online and stuff, there might be mudslinging like, oh, I'm seeing all this at Lodge, all that in Lodge. It doesn't mean just complain and air your dirty laundry. It means you need to make efforts to try to remedy these situations. Agreed. And yes, I think that's that's part of it is don't air your dirty laundry. But I think another part of it is be conscious of how you're behaving in public if you're wearing a square and compass on you. Constant well, care of yourself too. Right. Yeah. Like don't do something that would sully the fraternity in front of people that know you're a Freemason or even just in your own heart, you know, you're a Freemason. So don't do something that if it was found out that you did, it would sully the reputation of the fraternity, right? Like try to maintain your behavior in a manner that respects the reputation of the fraternity. And you're not the one giving the fraternity a bad name. And I mean, you know, the, Middle path on this is saying, if you're going to do things that you know would not be good for the fraternity, please don't be presenting yourself as a Mason. But I do feel like that's a cop-out where you should always be trying to act in a way that if you say, would this make the fraternity upset if someone found out I was a Mason? That's a good check and balance on your behavior to be like, hey, you know, I thought this joke was funny, but I know that if people saw as a Mason, they might think it was in bad taste right. and it could make the fraternity look bad through that proxy. And I know people would say, you know, well, I should be able to say whatever I want. And it's like, yes, but it's a good check and balance to say you should circumscribe your passions and maintain a level of decorum. Right. Well, and I, I would agree with you that I think it's a cop out to be like, well, I wasn't representing myself as a Mason when I did it. There should be, Yes, obviously you can look at it like if more especially right. <laughs> yeah, if my brothers found out I did this, would it you know? Or if it became public that I did this and I'm a Freemason, would it make the fraternity look bad? But there should also be your own self check, your own com- you know internal compass telling you, hey, no, I shouldn't do this because it could. It, Regardless of whether I'm presenting myself as a Freemason or not, it it stands somewhat outside of my moral obligations, and by being outside of my moral obligations, is I've something no longer I should, circumscribe my passions. Right, something I shouldn't do, and could potentially sully the fraternity. But I'm going to keep myself within due bounds and police myself to not do it because it violates my own code of conduct. Right? Yep. And I mean, it's interesting because when I've seen people who get upset when they're kind of called out on this type of thing, they start being like, well, I'm a person. I can say I can do what I want. It's like, yes, you can. But the whole point of the fraternity is to make you uncomfortable and change is uncomfortable. Circumscribing your passion sucks. (laughs) Like it's really good for you. But you're when, you know, passions as, as they are fiery and they're impulsive, they make you want to move. They're going to fight back against you trying to cage them into a reasonable and temperate way. And so it's uncomfortable to be called out when you did, you know, get a little bit outside of your circumspection or circumscription. And, you know, it shouldn't be something that should be taken negatively because it's actually very positive when you are made aware because now you have the opportunity to grow and to re- you know, bring the point back within the circle. Well, and I think I think we need to sometimes remember why we were drawn to this fraternity and why we decided to join it. And that was part of the reason, at least, was to hold yourself to a higher standard. Mm-hmm. Higher archetype. Right. So don't just dismiss it later on and be like, well, I can do whatever I want because I'm a person. No, you join this fraternity to hold yourself to a different standard. You're shortchanging yourself right. by when you feel it is inconvenient ditching the obligations and customs of the fraternity just for kicks or you, you know, or right. self-indulgence. And you know, no one is gonna be a hundred percent. We can't stand on our you know, our soapboxes here and say that we're both perfect men who never make those mistakes, but you need to have the willingness 
to reestablish yourself and try to continue to grow and work on your Ashlers. Well, right. We're all going to make mistakes. And, you know, I'm as guilty as the next person of making mistakes. However, the key is that you identify the fact that you did make a mistake and you try to correct that behavior in the future, right? You have to have humility exactly. to grow. Exactly. And so then it goes on to talk about how to deal it, deal with maintaining this reputation with various types of roles that you may come into contact with. So it says, to preserve the reputation of the fraternity, employee must be your constant care. Then it goes on to say, and for this purpose, it is your province to recommend to your inferiors obedience and submission, to your equals, courtesy and affability, and to your superiors, kindness and condescension. So this is, sounds intimidating off the top run because these are archaic words. Yep. That carry baggage now more than they did when these were created. Right. You That's have to noting. You have to look you at mentally it. unpack it. You have to mentally unpack it. And you have to look at it as a set of instructions, right? What it what, what's this part really telling telling you, right? You you're trying to explain to somebody that they must constantly be cognizant of maintaining the reputation of the fraternity without it being solid. And how are you going to go about doing that? Well, you're going to, you're going to teach somebody how to follow, right? You're going to teach somebody that, and you're going to teach them and show them the way. Right? So you're basically saying these are recommended business to your province, which means like to your consideration. Right. So there's going to be three types of groups and let's try to take the tones out a little bit. So to your inferiors, they mean two less experienced brethren, young new masons. Yep you're going to apply one method to your equals, basically people who are just as seasoned as you, just another brother who's been here for a while. How would you best approach this person? And then to your superiors, this could be the master of a lodge. It could be anyone that's holding a higher office in any group. How do you reach out to this person to try to address this problem? Right. Right. And it, if you think of it that way, right, if you look at it that way with a newer inexperienced Mason, right, it's like, Training somebody at your job, you're going to give them directions, right, to a certain extent and tell them how to do things or what things mean or how traditionally they've been done at, you know, this establishment. Right? Well, it's kind of like raising a kid where, like, at first you're like, you just need to follow the rules because they're the rules. Like, you right. need to submit to learn to follow and take instructions. Right. And then hopefully as they grow, then they'll become more self aware of why it's important exactly and that's and that's what we're looking at there <clears throat> now yeah we're dealing with older language on it right and a lot of masonry we're dealing with older language and trying to what's the word i'm looking for trying to bring out the modern meaning out of it yep. without without necessary and avoiding some of that language because, right because it sounds aggressive but it's not real. because obedience and submission nowadays is very weighted language obedience to the tenets of Freemasonry. So you'd say you need to start acting, you need to start following our rules and regulations right. and submission, meaning you need to be willing to allow yourself to follow these rules and to live up to the reputation of the fraternity. So it starts with people who are, when they say inferior, they mean they're not up to the level, they're not well experienced. And at that point, it's very hard to just be like, I hope they do it. You kind of have to be like, you need to do this to fit in here and to work as a Mason, you need to follow our tenants and act like a Mason. Right. Right. So, you know, there's your, that's how to deal with less experienced Masons, which is, I find interesting that they're putting that in the charge at this point, because you just became a master Mason. You're just hearing this charge. But I mean, honestly, pretty quickly, you're going to find yourself dealing with newer master Masons, I guess, than you. I think it probably times. also contains Entered apprentices and fellow crafts too, like, hey, you need to follow yeah. your obligation. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. need to do the work. You need to do your posting. You need to right. You need to learn to follow at this right. point well, before yeah, you learn I, to lead. And I suppose as a new master mason, it's explaining to you that that's kind of how you should handle your entered apprentices and your fellow crafts. And or younger Masons. Or younger Masons eventually yep. as getting them through the posting work, right? Now, when it comes to your equals, courtesy, obviously we should be extending courtesy always to each other. Affability, I'm going to ask you to pull up real quick because I can't remember the definition of. So courtesy being, you know, you be do it in a nice 
an equal way. This is double speak again. These are all okay. double speaks. Affability is the quality of having a friendly or good natured manner. Right. Okay. And so if you compare that to courtesy dictionary day, let's go. Mm-hmm. Courtesy meaning showing politeness in one's attitude or behavior. So be polite, do it in a kind and good way. So to your equals, you know, they're not going to feel as, it's not going to be as effective to patronize them by saying, like treating them like they're a child or that they're a new person. When they're like, I've been around here 10 years too. You can't talk to me like I am a new person here. I'm, right. I have so much experience. So it's not actually to your benefit to attempt to apply the first method to someone who is your equal because you need to have mutual respect. And yes, you should have still respect for your inferiors, but you just need to make sure that they understand that at the start of something, you're way more to the books. You got to stay to the books until you earn your reputation and your skill set to be treated as, as a, you know, that you should just be good nature and kind, that you shouldn't come in and be so aggressive, but you should assume that based on their experience, they are in a state of error that they're not aware of. So you should nicely explain their way back to it. Well, and I mean, that's that's like going back to your analogy, which with the kid, which this is probably the last part of this we're going to be able to use that analogy at. But, you know, a young kid, you teach to follow the rules because these are the rules. But when your kid's 30, you you approach them doing something that maybe they shouldn't have a whole lot differently because they're an adult now. You can't ground them. Right, right. <laughs> but you, you approach it a whole lot outside of that. You approach it a whole lot differently. <clears throat> like, hey, you know, kind of realize you might have, might have screwed up there, right? Yeah, like, you know I love you, know, you, man, but I, I need to tell you something. This is because I care. Right. That's how you should approach it. Right, right. Because now you're dealing with somebody who is also an adult, right? Mm-hmm. So... That's that's kind of how I, I feel like that analogy can continue through this part. I feel like that fits yep. quite well there, actually. Yep. And then when it goes, so it's, you know, you start by saying, hey, to people who are very much less sort of brand new, I'd say either enter your apprentice fellowcraft or brand brand spanking new master masons. The best way to address them is to say, hey, here are our rules, here are regulations. You need to start learning to follow them Yep. as your equal. Do it in a good-natured, loving, brotherly way. But I like that they add the port onto your superiors because we've all been in that situation where someone who holds a level of authority, that's a very hard person to find a way to correct or to encourage because you don't want to sound disrespectful. Right. And, and you're always walking that line, right? Especially with with somebody who's like, let's say – you know, your senior steward and you're dealing with your junior warden, right? And you want to correct the actions of said junior warden because you feel like he didn't do something right. Or you, you at least want to bring it to his attention that you feel like he didn't do something appropriately, you know, and there's, there's a way to do that with humility and respect that still, still maintains the respect towards the position of that person while, you know, considering him as an equal, because it's not, it's not that you have to respect that person more because of their position. You have to respect the position Mm -hmm. while treating the person as an equal. Right. And so it becomes, it becomes this dynamic tiptoe through the tulips kind of relationship where you have to show a little humility, but also, correct or bring up issues at the same time and so it uses kindness obvious but there's still an equal but more so it says like yes continue to maintain a level of understanding and kindness and condescension and this word is another dated word but in the old english it kind of means a voluntary descent from one's rank or dignity in relations with an inferior so it means let's say you're a past master and you're talking to a master you need to lower yourself down, recognizing that you are no longer the master of the lodge and address him still with his title in a way that shows the respect to the hat, more or less. Right. Or they're not going to listen because you'll find that when people are trying to defend their authority or if they feel that need, if they're treated in a way that they feel like you're not respecting the station, they might stop listening. And so there has to be a way that with kindness and you lowering yourself of understanding to not step on his toes or try to go above his authority to address him in a way that's kind enough that he can actually listen and understand would be what I would be arguing. 
Yep. Yep. No, that completely makes sense. And I think, I think we, we wrapped up that. That was probably the biggest section to unpack of this whole thing. Not to mention, I always have wanted to unpack that one because when you're first reading it, the language is so intense. You're like, oh my God, am I just like submitting these people? And like, you really have to, especially with all this old English, you have to unpack the meaning behind it to really see what they're trying to explain in a way that, you know, 150 years ago, it would have been like, well, duh, that sounds good. And you're like, so you have to, you know, work with the text to understand its deeper meaning. Right, right. And I I think... You know, it helps to have other people have helped me begin to unpack this before we had this conversation. So I think that's that's what we're trying to do here, right, is try to start to get people to unpack it a little bit. Even if they don't agree with every way we're coming at it, yep. it might start helping them think about unpacking it and come to their own way of understanding it, right? Yeah, I mean, that is a good reminder. We are not an an authority on this text. Right. We like, do not assume that we have any authority. We are doing exactly what every Mason should be doing is analyzing the ritual and trying to dig deeper to find the actual grains of wisdom and the applied virtues within that text. Yep. So this is just what two guys takes. And I would encourage everyone here to revisit these charges themselves and Really think about what are you being asked to do? And, you know, if you find anything cool or interesting, shoot us an email. Timeforfellowship at gmail.com. Timeforfellowship at gmail.com for sure. Andrew, got one for you. Shoot. Universal benevolence. What the heck does that mean? (laughs) Benevolence for everybody. (laughs) So I think this is a part of masonry that, or the charge that, really tells you how to go out into the world. Let me look up benevolence. I think we all kind of know the meaning, but I like reading meanings. Benevolence, the quality of being well-meaning and kindness. So it's always acting kind. So you should be a universally kind person, meaning to everybody, everywhere, all the time, be kind. Right. And I do like, part of the reason I did it that way is I do like having the actual Like, I know what benevolence means, but like, what's the actual dictionary definition sometimes? So you can get, just get like this better idea of it, right? Like, I know universal benevolence means I'm supposed to be kind, right? But like, how kind? (laughs) Well, and it's funny because I've heard, you know, there's been a lot of Masons online who are upset with the type of commenting they get. Okay, they get heinous junk and they deserve to be upset. And I remember hearing quotes specifically from a brother saying, I don't have to, I can still be a dick and be a good man. And I was like, I agree, but there's a better way. And that's the thing is, is yeah, you can be a grumpy curmudgeon and still be a great dude. But here in the charge, it's recommending to you right off the bat to be kind to everyone as your first response is to respond with kindness, which by the way, if you're trying to be successful in changing people's minds, kindness is always the best way to get their ears to open rather than being brutish or mean because that puts people onto a defensive ground. Right. And now now we got the universal benevolence down, right? Universal benevolence, you are always to inculcate. All right, I have it. Which would be instill by persistent instruction, an attitude, idea, or habit. You should be habitually kind as your first response to everything. Boom. Yep. <laughs> Which would Mike, be me. Mike, drop, right? Which would be my argument for the, have you noticed that in all of these things, when they're telling us how to deal with problems, they always are putting the word kind or courteous. They're basically going, do everything nicely. Be kind. Friends. I mean. It, does it cost you anything extra to be kind over being a dick? You know, also, as far as mental health is concerned, when you respond to even the worst person with kindness, you're less stressed out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's I, almost like you deflected their anger. If they're like, hey, I came in here and you're supposed to do A, B, B, and you're like, hey, man, what's going on? I'm here to help. How can I help? It brings them immediately down and it makes everything easier and you don't get flustered. Now, 
I will agree. And I know I'm going to have some, we're going to have some listeners that are disagreeing with us. So I am going to put one caveat into this, right? Having done what I used to do as a career in the security field at a question, in a questionable area, 90% of the times kindness and talking will work. 10% of the time you're just dealing with a no person. Yep. Who, no matter what you do is going to be a no person. And in those situations and in those types of career fields, sometimes, yes, you have to choose a route that's not kind. But right? you should start you with can, kindness. You should start with kindness, take it to where you got to take it, and you know how you should end it. And you know what they teach security guys and everybody else? You, Tase them. You, oh, yeah, <laughs> you, you start with kindness. You go to where you need to go. And, you and then you go back to kindness. Good resolution. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the thing is, is so much of masonry is saying, apply the necessary force. When right. you're trying to shape a stone, you can't batter the crap out of it. You need to apply the necessary and precision. Start with kindness, apply what is necessary to resolve the situation, and then end with kindness is a great little kindness sandwich. Right. Exactly. And I, I think I think it's important to remember, especially like, you know, in today's online world, and all the stuff that gets thrown around because of people sitting behind keyboards. Universal benevolence, you are always to inculcate. And we talk about this constantly about you can be right and still be an a-hole. Right. And like, so you can also disagree kindly and you can have civility. And, you know, we continuously like to batter on as this is, you know, as we were, even when we're talking with Pat about one of the forgotten virtues that's just kind of weaved into the, how we maintain our harmony you can disagree in a way that is pleasable and kind right. without personally attacking or being mean. So you should maintain a level of benevolence. And by the regularity of your own behavior, afford the best example for the conduct of others less informed. Lead by example. Right. So it's double talk a little bit again, right? It's saying it's taking the same thing, you know, saying you're you're supposed to habitually do this. And then again, saying by the regularity of your own behavior. And by habitually doing this. Right. But it's <laughs> taking it to the next level in that it's telling you your habitual universal benevolence should be the example for the conduct of other people who might not understand that it's important. It's important to be habitually universally benevolent. Well, it's adding to your precept and examples. Right. Yep. Obedience to the tenets of Freemasonry. It's reversing the fact that through that kindness, you are going to sharpen other men to say, hey, you know, okay, there's a great example of a brother in our lodge. Brother Gary, I've never, I heard him say the F word once in the entire time I met him, and it was right. scary because he is always so kind all the time. It's kindness to a point of you're alarmed how kind he is. Yep. And it rubs off on me. I'm like, he, no matter what the situation, he has a cool and calm and kind response. And it it is inspiring. And I think it's important that this is telling you, you need to bring this to your lodge too, to help encourage, you know, harmony and kindness right. and, you know, how, oh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. Right. And it, it's important to remember to take this stuff outside of the lodge. We like to say that the world needs Freemasonry more now than ever. Right. The world needs kindness more than ever. Exactly. And by the regularity of our own universal benevolence. Universal meaning everywhere. <laughs> we should afford the example for the rest of the world as to how to act. As a good and upright man. Right. Which is why the world needs Freemasonry. Now more than ever. And it needs Masons acting like Masons now more than ever. And that is the caveat to it, right? We can say the world needs Freemasonry more now than it has ever needed it. But if we don't live up to these virtues, especially this one sentence of this Master Mason charge, which is probably the most important sentence that exists in any of the charges— if we don't live up to that, or at least attempt to live up to that, we're not living up to the fact that Freemasonry is needed more now than it ever has been. 
free, you know, and we're not making a case for it. Freemasonry is needed now more than ever within Freemasonry too. It's why it is so important that when you're done with your degrees, you don't stop studying and trying to integrate them because it takes a lifetime to live up to and even attempt to live up to the archetype and the principles of Freemasonry. And one good, easy stepping stone is just to try to remember to always be kind. That is a huge, by the way, that's a huge empowering start because you'll start to see that when you act kind all the time, I've always had kind of like a gentle and kind demeanor. It's just the way I am. It starts to actually affect your self-think. Right. When you start to be kind to everyone else, you start to be kinder to yourself. So it's actually very interesting in the way that you would, they're like, why are they including this in being a good man? And it's like, well, it's a double, it's a two-way streak. When you start reacting to your first reaction to situations as kindness, you start to, when you have negative thoughts, start with more kindness to yourself, which can be hugely empowering for one's mental health and mental happiness. So it is a, it, I mean, think of every holy writing around the world. They all include something about a general kindness. Right. It's as if of all these very wise and philosophically and religiously minded people have all identified the benefits of universal benevolence. And it's something that we should take very, very seriously as a way we conduct ourselves as Masons. Agreed. Be kind. Rewind. <laughs> oh, that's for our older listeners. And I'll include myself in that group because I remember renting VHSs and having to rewind them before you return them. Be kind. Rewind. <laughs> Good example, before they go to the blockbusters. Right. Piece. Right. Well, I think, honestly, the next paragraph is just on the landmarks of Freemasonry, which I think we're going to actually, we'll return to this and do an episode on the tenants. I like the tenants, and I actually think that there's a surprising number of Masons who haven't read them. And so I would love to bring that to our listeners as a fun little topic. And the last one, you know, honestly, I don't think, I think that'd be a good one for the listeners to read through. It's basically saying, please take all of the things we just talked about and within the light of the third degree and live up to it and, right. you know, live up to what you have been given. Right. Live up to what you have been presented with and what you've just been taught and learn, right? Learn. Constantly look back at it and learn and pick out the different parts. Imitate the example of that celebrated artist whom you have this evening represented. And that celebrated artist represents the archetype of a mason. When they designed that degree, they shoved all of the tenants within a man and created a figure to be a symbolic representation of the good, upright mason. Try to live up to that character. Right. Try to live up to that example. All right. Cool. Time for some news. Let's do some news and events. All right. So what's been going on around the state of Wisconsin? The first article I got today for you guys is the Dousman Lodge Bell Ringers. We've all seen them. The It's going to be through the... Who does this again? It's the... Salvation Army? Yep, the Salvation Army bell ringer. So the Dousman Brethren, Jack Rees, their chaplain at Dousman Lodge 315. Actually, they went out on December 16th to do some bell ringing for the Salvation Army, the Red Kettle, and they were at the Sendex in Oconomowoc. The Brethren went out and they rang some bells for some several hours, and they were able to collect... $1,547 for the Salvation Army. Nice. A good way to do a little bit of cross-organization work to really build interest and really raise money for a great cause. I've seen a few lodges this year doing Salvation Army bell ringing. And, you know, I've always been curious, and if somebody wanted to reach out to us at timeforfellowship <laughs> at, at gmail.com, who's more involved with it, I, I'm curious as to what the charitable contributions those bell ringers get are now versus in the past considering how many people don't carry cash anymore. i mean that's interesting but i know that you know they end up a lot of times being outside stores and stuff like that just getting right. changed and things like that too right no i i, I know and I'm, I'm i'm not that's always just i'm not knocking anything about doing it like i think it's a great idea i just have been curious about that as we seem to move towards a more digital world cashless society how those like cash type of things are doing today 
It could also be that they're being seen, and so people are going on the Salvation Army's website and making donations to right. it. I right. mean, the Salvation Army does a ton of stuff. They do a lot of the homeless shelters and a various food pantries and things like that to kind of help those in need. Right. It's just a curiosity, man. Cool. So. All right. On to the next news article. This one, this one, when I saw the headline, I was like, is there a typo in it? Because... <laughs> So, brother Leroy Huber, who anybody who has been to annual communication is very familiar with, was installed as master of Bicknell Lodge. And normally, you know, yeah, hey, you guys get installed as master all the time. But brother Huber was installed as a master of a lodge for the 44th time. And note, this is not consecutive at the same lodge. He's been master of many lodges. He has been master of quite a few lodges. He currently belongs to, like, and is an active member of 15 different lodges, has been installed as master of a lodge 44 times, and has been to 56 annual communications. It's almost like twice my age. I mean... (laughs) The guy was raised in 1968 and hasn't looked back since. Yeah. That's that's dedication. He's also currently serving as senior warden in two different lodges, counselor in two different lodges, senior deacon in a lodge, and chaplain in another lodge. I mean, this... Is there a world record to be broken? Because I feel like this might have broken it and set a really impossible standard to for anyone to do as much masonry as Brother Leroy's been doing. This this amount of dedication to Freemasonry and the lodges in his area is impressive. And Brother Huber, great job. Keep up the great work. You're obviously doing something right if the brethren keep trusting you time and time again. To be worshipful master and if you happen to listen if you would ever like to be on the podcast because i'm sure you have some great past master wisdom please reach out dude i'm gonna hunt him down in annual communication and drag him onto a microphone <laughs> i think because i think that he's got some wisdom in there that i would love to pick his brain about there's got to be a lot of past past master wisdom there and that's that's awesome congratulations brother hubert that's it, really amazing very very cool all right let's move on to what events are going on so today january 4th wabatosa lodge doing their installation of officers at 7 p.m also today january 4th wisconsin lodge number 13 is doing their installation officer at 6 p.m so if you're interested check those out uh, we're still in installation season so on january 6th south shore lodge number three is doing their installation of officers and that is at lake masonic center so that's here on January 8th, James M. Hayes Lodge, number 331, is doing their installation officers at 7 p.m. Also on the 8th, Janesville Western Star Lodge, number 55, is doing their installation of officers at 6 p.m. Moving on up to January 11th, Lake Lodge 189 is doing their rusty nail degree in stated communication. So this could be at Lake Lodge 189. Dinner's at 6 p.m. We're doing Italian sausage sandwiches. And the degree is at 7 p.m. For those who don't know what the Rusty Nail degree is, you have a rare honor of joining the Order of the Rusty Nail. So you might be wondering what that is. Matt, can you explain a little bit about that for us? Sure. Outside of the fact that you get a fancy lapel pin, which I know will just bring people knocking the doors down. Limited. Designed by my own hand. Yep. Limited edition. There's only a hundred of them. So come on out. But anyways... The true part of the Order of the Rusty Nail is to refresh you on all those things you may have forgotten over the years, especially if you haven't came and sat in Lodge in a while. You know, whether it be modes of recognition or how you were received or working tools. There's going to be a bunch of different lessons taught, and it'll be followed by a short business meeting. And then as is tradition at Lake Lodge, we will go enjoy some fellowship afterwards. Honestly, guys, if you know any brethren, like if you're making phone calls doing wellness checks and they haven't been to Lodge in a while, 
This is a free opportunity to get them refreshed. So just send them on over. It's completely free to come down to Lake and get this degree. And it's very, very cool. It's for all Master Masons. And it's a great opportunity if you have some brethren that you know have been interested, but maybe they're a little intimidated. Or if you're a listener and you're like, you know, I haven't been to Lodge in so long. I don't know if I remember everything. This is a great opportunity to get re-engaged with Masonry. And we're happy at Lake Lodge to put this on for everyone to help the district and the state have an opportunity to bring some brethren back into their lodges. So please consider sending some people our way. All right, on to January 13th. Damascus Lodge number 290 is doing their installation of officers. On January 19th, Wisconsin Masonic Center is working with the American Red Cross for a blood drive. It's going to be from 1 to 5 p.m. So this is going to be at Wisconsin Masonic Center in the ballroom, so that's in Madison. For appointments, please call 800-733-2767. That number again is 800 800- 733-2767 or visit the redcrossblooddrive.org and enter the sponsor code WI Masonic Center that's WI Masonic Center walk-ins are also welcome so that's between 1 and 5 p.m. you know it's a good season to do some donations and blood is always in dire need on to January 25th Lake Lodge 189 is doing our 22nd annual Robert Bobby Burns Table Lodge. It's going to be from 6 to 9 p.m. This is an awesome event. We do a variety of ceremonial toasts. It's very reminiscent of old masonry doing toasts and poetry. We have past Grandmaster Don Henziak's famous haggis. And we also have roast beef. Our speaker is going to be past Grandmaster Paul Torville. It's going to be $35 a person. But remember, reservations are due January 18th. To get a reservation, just please send a check into Lake Masonic Center and write the check out for the Robert Burns. That's going to be on 1235 East Howard Ave, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53207. On to February, Matt. And one last note about the Robert Burns Table Lodges here. Since uh, yours truly happens to be in the East, if you come on out in the MC for the night, so hope to see you there. And if you don't have toasting cannons, we sell them there too, so you can get a cool cannon, do all those toasts and good things. Oh, yeah, yeah. And we definitely have borrowable cannons as well. And there's also raffles and stuff like that. So please come on out. It's a great time. It's just a lot of fun, a lot of good fellowship. All right, so now on to February. February 3rd, District 12 will be holding a Masonic Day of Light at Triple I Shrine. And... The two of us happen to be part of the EA degree team. So if you want to come out and see your favorite podcasters, one of us will be conferring, the other one will be Junior Warden. You can determine for yourself which one's which. But we will be at the Daylight at Triple I Shrine for the Entered Apprentice degree, at least. And uh, we'll see what happens after that. Maybe we'll uh, hang out for the day. February 17th, Waterloo Lodge is doing a Valentine's Day luncheon. Social hours at 11, meals at 12, it's $50 a couple at Stable Rock Winery and Distillery. Please RSVP to Brother Dan Slavic. February 9th. By February 9th, yes. And then February 24th, there's a Masonic Acts of Kindness Gala Fundraiser at the Eau Claire Masonic Center. See your Wisconsin Masonic Journal for more details on that. I know Brother Dave Tainter is the one putting those on this year, and very soon we will be announcing that the Lake Masonic Center will be hosting one in April. So stay tuned for that. On to March. March 1st, Lake Lodge is holding what has become our now annual axe-throwing event. It's from 7 to 9 p.m. It's open to friends and families, North-South Club, RSVP with Worshipful Brother Jeff Teeley by February 16th to hold your spot. Pricing will be dependent on how many participants we get. Yep, and I talked to Jeff. He said a good range to expect. It's between 30 and 40 bucks. It's going to be the more people we get, the cheaper it is, usually max. If we're going to get the minimum, is about 40 bucks, but it's probably usually going to be close to like $33. So, right. And depending on RSVPs, so just email him and he can get you on the list. 
there's only 48 spots available, so RSVP sooner than later. On March 9th is the Tom Torville Interstate Lodges Table Lodge. 4 p.m. social, 5 p.m. meal. It's at the Toma Masonic Center. Please RSVP to District Deputy Jacob Schultz if you plan on attending. On March 23rd, the Valley of Lacrosse Scottish Rite Reunion is happening at the Lacrosse Masonic Center, 9 a.m. So if you are a Scottish Rite brother or up that way and considering joining the Scottish Rite, that would be the weekend to be there. They're going to be doing their Paschal, the Feast of the Paschal Lamb. Oh, yeah. I see that. Very cool. Well, that is news and events. Happy 6024, brethren. And remember, be kind, be upright, be good masons. Be kind, rewind, and we'll see you at the Rusty Nail. (laughs) See you at the Rusty Nail. Take care, everyone.